0: to the proelium, which means the battle. The Joshua lectures are an extension of New Antioch's classical education model. The intent of these lectures is to expose a larger audience to the understanding of the Lordship of Christ over all spheres of life. These lectures aim to address various topics within the disciplines of theology, philosophy, education, medicine, law, and ethics. Classical education engages these topics in a robust manner with an eye upon the cultural landscape and a mind transformed by the scriptures. For a reformation of today's vocations and institutions, Christians must be courageous and equipped to evoke real change for Christ. To be courageous without being equipped leads to defeat. To be equipped without possessing courage leads to disaster. New Antioch extends an invitation to you to come and experience these lectures in person Each presenter approaches their topic with a substantial background of experience and or formal training in their particular discipline and endeavors to provide a careful and rigorous application of the Christian faith to life. Each evening's lectures will afford those in attendance the opportunity to ask questions of the guest lecturer through a moderated Q&A period following the presentation. If you would like more information, please email us at admin at new antioch institute.com
1: well thank you very much I uh, <clears throat> I'm recovering from a little bit of a cold, I was feeling like like I was 100% and then you start talking for 40 40 minutes and you realize you're not quite 100%. (laughs) Um, But we are in the middle of uh, a couple of lectures on sort of the cultural commentary of where we're at right now. We're going to be considering in some detail in the subsequent uh, couple of lectures next week, the week after that, we're going to be considering in greater detail, sexual orientation and gender identity and how we understand those things and how we, um, bring our, our biblical lens our scriptural lens to the, that subject matter. Um, but here now we are looking at where we are and not how we got here, which we dealt with in the last lecture, but where we're going next. And, um, by its very nature, this will be somewhat speculative. Um, there may be others who have put good work into understanding where, you know, where we're at and how we got here and, and engage on these topics that might have a, a little bit of a different view as far as where the trajectory goes from here. Um, as I unfold my own views, I will say at the outset that, uh, that the Lord is Lord of history. I'm gonna be closing this lecture with um, a brief meditation on that. And, uh, and the Lord is, is able, and we see him do this at times in history, he's able to intervene in miraculous ways. And it could be that there is a, a revival around the corner that would completely change society. Um, that, is, that is entirely possible. And even as we think of the sorts of influences, churches, institutions, pioneering works that we want to be a part of uh, as Believers in Christ to grow his kingdom it, it may be that uh, the Lord will grant us such success at any moment that uh, that we may be able to yeah put the, the the boundaries of God's good law back into onto society, might be able to make headway against some of these evils. nevertheless, having said that, I my, my views about where this is going do still stand in spite of a somewhat optimistic view of what I I think God will do in and through this. Um, It will not surprise me if the evils and the darkness of these days increase, even as God uses that, whether it's in a great way, um, all at once in some sort of revival movement, Uh, or whether it it takes place in a little bit slower of a fashion through the building of and the pioneering of godly institutions that recognize the full scope of Scripture and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I am optimistic, even if you might walk away from this lecture um, not entirely uh, enthused about our world. Uh, but again, I ask, as, the, as I did at the beginning of our last lecture, you know, why should we deal with some of these matters? So I, I mentioned a, a couple of things, either at the beginning or at the end of that lecture. I, I mentioned that um, it is helpful to see, when we look at the darkness of the world and the fruit of its evil ideologies and, um, and views and beliefs, to, to see just how good God's laws are. And we take those laws for granted uh, when we don't compare them to, uh, to the world and how the devil would want to destroy this world and leave so much degradation in, in his wake. So that is that is certainly a, a good as we reflect on some of these some of these evils. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll maybe leave the rest of my reflections till the end. But I will start with an anecdote. I was uh, recently doing some research for a book. And it was a section, interestingly, it was a section not on, um, on sexual immorality, although um, kind of close, close side by side in, in the book. But it was a section on idolatry, and in particular on occultism within society and within uh, influential people such as those in Hollywood. Uh, And some of that research surrounded one of the top pop performers of our day and age, a performer by the name of Lady Gaga, who I'm sure some of you will know her name. Uh, There are some who have stated that she may be after Michael Jackson, the greatest pop performer um, in in history. But she has considerable ties to an occultist by the name of Marina Abrobadova, uh, Abramovich, uh, Marina Abramovich, uh, and has engaged with her in pagan mysticism, and in some cases, rituals that are symbolically satanic. Uh, as part of that research, I also watched a few of her videos, something I do not recommend. Um, I found them highly disturbing, and, that, and that's for somebody who, even though I am very careful, very conservative about what I watch when it comes to entertainment. At the same time, because of the research that I do, I am exposed to, and again, carefully, with in, in control of my, of my mind and my thoughts, and if I ever get into temptation, then I, I just go away. I, I won't engage in that any longer. But, but I, I do look at things that are disturbing sometimes, but even having that, some of that background, I found many of these music videos highly disturbing. In one case, for one of her earlier songs called Alejandro, it presents as a sadomasochistic, homosexual, Nazi orgy. Uh, And if that sounds exaggerative, please take my word for it. You do not need to confirm this for yourself. It was, um, it was not only highly disturbing to to view pieces of it, Um, but more disturbing yet was to think of the fact that here is one of the most renowned performers in the world and that many thousands and and probably millions of children around the world have watched that video. So uh, very horrifying. More recently, a music video by a major artist has come out that is uh that is so degrading that um that actually i'm not even going to tell you who it is that's i i just i'm not even going to tell you who it is um i watched a very small snippet of it and it was um yeah it's the most horrifying one of the most horrifying things I've, i've ever seen um and again more disturbing than that small snippet I watched. And, and not merely that this is a major performer in our culture, but it's the fact that, uh, you know, that, that YouTube has no age appropriate, like no filters on it at all. So a child could go and view what is, for all intents and purposes, hardcore pornography without, without the overt explicitness of the sexual act. Um, These raise all sorts of questions for us ethically. You know, do we treat YouTube, when you see something like this, do you treat YouTube as sort of the internet or the world itself, a kind of a, a place where the greatest evils sometimes lie side by side with great opportunities for the gospel? Or do you treat it like a company's platform that you're buying into and supporting? That's that's the that's the challenge of today's world. You know how do you how do you deal with things? At times, I've I, you know I've, I've um, unsubscribed to Netflix because I, I feel like they've crossed lines that I, I don't want to support. Um, on the other hand, now you know Disney is degrading further, and you know how much better are they, or or if they are, and they probably still are, you know for how much longer. So on one hand, we may feel like we're nearly there to the canonization of the Western world, to it becoming Sodom and Gomorrah. On the other hand, I want to suggest to you in in these next 40 minutes or so that we have not quite bottomed out yet. And things may get worse before they get better. I hope that what I'm about to share will be helpful to you so that you can navigate the world that is is soon here. Uh, In some cases here already, in some cases will be upon us shortly. And that it will allow you to be able to minister to others and to speak prophetically in this world. Uh, One other thing that I think is useful about reviewing some of this information is that it helps us to understand that um, we, we tend to have a very myopic view about sort of well, we can deal with the darkness of the world as it is right now, but we, we don't really realize that unless we are salt and light in this world in a very powerful way, things will just keep getting worse and worse. And this calls for a prophetic ministry of the church um, and in very, in very public ways, marketplace kind of kind of um, proclamation. So hopefully that is. Something that we can hold on to as we reflect on a few things here about where this is all going. So I'm going to touch on three topics. First, I'm going to touch on the last taboos. Right. Um, I'm going to mention a, a few things about um, bestiality and, and, and incest. Um, again, I'm going to try to keep my um, my thoughts as 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 unexplicit as possible um, i'm also going to uh we're also going to consider the role of technology currently um, in that and and uh i'll deal with that relatively briefly and then i want to f- close with um considering i'm going to make the case for the fact that i believe within my lifetime pedophilia will be completely normalized. And I'm gonna tell you why I think that. So first of all, in the last lecture we noted that uh, the sexual revolution normalized premarital sex <clears throat> to some degree, adultery. <clears throat> but ever since then, of course with the, with the, uh, with the gay movement, we've, we've normalized homosexuality and, and, uh, and sodomy. But there are still some taboos that that are in culture, but these are slowly being thrown off as well. Uh, probably sadomasochism is, is probably no longer taboo. Uh, some of you may have heard of a series called Fifty Shades of Grey and how that has hit books. and was a bestseller of some sort, I, I don't know, but it spawned a whole uh, group of books. Um, there was uh, a movie that was made of it and, and uh, it normalizes acts of pain, uh, relative to, to, to the marital act. Um, in a, perhaps in a similar vein, um, people have noted that, uh, that much pornography these days uh, contains violent acts, um, and, uh, and choking in particular and some of the studies, this is reflected actually in some of the, the studies uh, that I've seen in which um, women, young women report, even adolescents report that, um, that their partners are engaging in choking in, in intercourse, just kind of out of the blue, without even, without even being able to, to give consent to it. So this has been normalized already. <clears throat> Incest is in the process of being normalized, uh, especially through one of the most popular television series in recent times, um, which is the uh, the Game of Thrones series. The Game of Thrones um, is a a fantasy television series that's appeared on HBO. I'm not sure if it's it's in other um, formats as well, but I know HBO is is, uh, the predominating place where the show is shown. Uh, and it's it's known for explicit sex scenes, and um, I think one of the more disturbing things pastorally that I have seen in Christian circles is that there are not a small amount of Christians watching this show um, who will say things like, "Well, I, I skipped those parts." Listen, if you are watching a show that is known for explicit and degrading sex scenes, you don't watch the show. Um, And uh, I I think that that is a very serious matter. Um, But what, in regards to incest, one of the major plot lines um, is that, as as was in the case through much of medieval history, is that there was incest in some some certain circles and houses, and and this is portrayed in the sex scenes of the the show. And so there have been multiple articles that have been written on this uh, that that say, like, okay, here we are now rooting for these incest scenes. And it's very clear that incest in this way is being normalized um, right now in society. What about bestiality? Well, recently, I followed a um, a thread a thread of multiple threads, if you if you know Twitter at all, um, about some people that are involved in very high up places within the US uh, government and the military. And um, one of them, was an appointee uh, by Joe Biden, um, of a man named Sam Brinton to the US Department of Energy, who is known very public about his his fetish, um, known as a uh, puppy trainer. And he engages in homosexuality in which these men act like animals That's part of the sexual perversion in which they're involved. Uh, I won't comment further, but uh, Rod Dreher has written an article about this. Uh, I find Rod Dreher, Carl Truman has as well. Rod Dreher tends to go into a little bit more detail than Carl Truman goes into. (coughs) Uh, If you want the tamer version, go with Carl Truman. If you want a little more detail, careful, uh, go with Rod Dreher. these, these perversions are on, on public display. Um, and in fact, there's good reason to believe that these things are being celebrated by these administrations and these, and these groups in authority, that they're being chosen for these roles because of a desire to, um, to platform queer advocates. Um, there's also been another example of this. I, I think I won't comment further on this, but there's been examples of this within the U.S. military as well. So, um, kind of play bestiality. Um, so there really are not a lot of outrageous acts left for the pagans to normalize. Um, You know where does, this, where does this go? Well, we'll I'll deal um, in the last part of the lecture with, with pedophilia. Um, but first of all, let me make some comments about technology and how technology is impacting the world of sex and gender and, and, uh, and sexual immorality, immorality as well. Um, one thing that's happening increasingly is that gay male couples are hiring surrogate women to birth the babies that they want. Uh, and in these cases, the women are very often denigrated. Um, I've seen multiple examples of gay men treating these women as just as as birthing machines it's 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 quite horrendous to see some of their um, comments and behavior in one case i mean how do, how does this even happen but in in one case, there was a um, a uh, reality show that um, that was following this gay couple, and they filmed without the woman's knowledge. They filmed the birth event of the woman giving birth to the child that she was carrying for for the, these these gay men, and, and the gay men made just obscene comments about about the women, about the woman as she's giving birth, um, captured on on film. Um, no, I mean I didn't I didn't check it out. No doubt parts of it were sanitized uh, to some degree for television uh, but surrogacy is is something that's, that's um taking place more and more of course IVF I'm not really gonna go into IVF here at, at this point much now um, I, I may touch on that a little later in the lecture series I'm not quite sure yet but um, there are a couple of things I do want to touch on as far as where things are are, are going <clears throat> in the near term. Um, one is the presence of, uh, of sex robots. Uh, so this is particularly prevalent in Japan where you have the breakdown of, um, of family and you've got a lot of loneliness within society generally. And, um, and, and so you've got um, companies that are building quite realistic looking uh, sex robots—they're not androids. I don't want you to give you give you that impress, impression. They're not androids. They're more like automated dolls. Um, but they are—they're they're, currently—they're—they're they're currently in production. They're currently out there, um, and they will increase in sophistication um, to the point where at at some point they they will be androids. Uh, and this is probably coming in not too distant of the future. You know, not too distant future Um, the other thing that is on the horizon and this is a little more speculative as far as how how far man will be able to progress Um, and and maybe there's some theology even with how we would view the potential for how far this could go uh, that I'm I'm not going to get into into depth Um, perhaps Worthy of greater reflection, um, but this is the idea of artificial wombs. Um, so recently, something that kind of stirred either the ire or the imagination of the world was a proof of concept video that was put out by Ectolife. And um, don't don't take this the you know don't understand that this was this is not something that's happening it was it was a proof of concept um, you know somebody sharing their vision there of something they're working on they're not close to doing this yet uh, but this is actually a video I do encourage you to go and see okay so I've, I've told you a bunch of things that I've I've watched uh, sometimes just little snippets and I've said don't go watch this uh, go watch this okay uh, it's a presentation by ectolife it's about 10 minutes and, um it is fascinating and disturbing and dystopian. Um, but in this video, you have very, um, yeah, a very sort of brave new world idea of these pods where you've got these babies that are growing. yeah, they're they're in this nutrient water, and um, you know they're being fed uh, you know, through, um, through the umbilical cord or a fake umbilical cord. And, and, uh, and then you've got what is one of the most fascinating, and again, it is still disturbing, but this, it's interesting to see how this concept frames the marketing of this. So in some cases you've got some marketing that you're like, oh yeah, I guess I can kind of see that where, you know. Um, this is a solution for those women who've had cancer and had their uteruses removed and they can't bear children themselves naturally. This is, this is a solution. And you go, okay, okay, I, uh, I kind of see that. Or why, why you might want to go there. Uh, but then you've also got marketing like, uh, you know, the, the woman, and this is very blatant within, within this concept video, where you've got the woman that doesn't want stretch marks. And so... You know she's going to have the baby this way rather than you know have have the baby naturally. Um, fascinating. And there are people, um the I think it was the Atlantic recently. I may be mistaken about this, but a major magazine recently, um, because this had this had come out, they ran a um, an article that that had sort of asked for reader feedback. And then was sharing that reader feedback with uh, in one of their articles, and I tell you it was interesting. They uh, of the of the feedback that they shared, most of them were were positive, and you're you're kind of like wow, you're, you're really framing this a certain way. I doubt very much that all of the feedback they got was positive, but this, these were the ones they chose um, to to kind of highlight, and and uh, yeah, and among them were gays and lesbians that said, well, this is, this is the way of the future to sort of equalize everything. Uh, there were feminists who said, well, this is the last bastion. This is how we finally uh, reach equality with men. Um, and, and you're just thinking, wow, you've, you're, now you're completely undermining this, the, the, the most wonderful part of, uh, of being a woman. You know, this, this wonderful gift that God has given uh, women Maybe I'll I'll be careful about maybe the most wonderful part of being a woman. I don't want to give the um, impression that to be a real woman, you must give birth. Um, Nevertheless, it is a very unique and wonderful experience that God has given to women and women alone. That's the point. God has not given this to men. It doesn't doesn't equalize. It actually removes this wonderful privilege uh, from women. That that is the point. You know, again, it'd be fascinating to think about, you know, is man capable of getting to the place where we can, as this video unfolds, where we can sort of choose what kind of baby we want. Hair color, eye color, how intelligent we we want them to be, how physically strong we want them to be, uh, you know, and, and do this all completely artificially. You know, on one hand, I you know, maybe I, you would think, well, you know, is God really going to make it so that our bodies and women's bodies can be artificially, um, I'll use the word reproduced, uh, in this way? And you, you might want to say no. But on the other hand, you know, when it comes to the Lord's response at the Tower of Babel, he, he says, listen, we're going to go down, right, speaking... Communally within the, the Triune uh, Council, if you will, he, he says if, if you know if we don't intervene, nothing will be impossible for them. and so um, you know maybe we, we wouldn't we shouldn't be too quick to say just full stop, well, no, a man could never accomplish that. So let's deal finally with um, pedophilia, and uh, I want to make the case that within my lifetime that pedophilia, um, again, short of revival or some other move of God, uh, which I would hope for, uh, I, I think it will be normalized. And here's why. I give you three reasons why I think that is the case. Um, first of all, I, there's there's an academic reason why this is the case. Uh, there are academics uh, in sex research like Michael Michael Cito. Uh, and James Cantor, who, and, and others, uh, I think Michael Bailey would be in this camp as well, although I'm not sure to what degree, yeah, I'm not sure where he would go with his understanding of this. Um, but there are academics who are currently arguing that pedophilia is a sexual orientation. Right, it's a sexual orientation. And uh, James Cantor, at least, is quite a very—he's he's, very—he's a homosexual man. Um, it, it, it's interesting because, in some ways, I—I <clears throat> I, I kind of respect him. In which sounds like a ridiculous thing and, and horrendous thing to say, um, but he—he's operating from a completely pagan perspective. But within his pagan perspective, he's actually quite courageous. And one of the ways that bears out is that he is very outspoken against the transgender um, transition of minors. Um, and so I respect him for that. Um, but he's, uh, he's somebody who's willing to consider things, what he th- thinks is logically, what he fails to realize is that he's got his own pagan presuppositions. Um, and uh, that... <laughs> wreaks havoc in his worldview. I've actually, I've I've had conversations with him over Twitter before. um, And I don't want to misrepresent him um, because I do have a personal connection with him. Uh, But he, he believes that P actually ought to be added to LGBT. And the reason he believes this is because he believes that like being gay or lesbian that it is something that is mostly innate at least and that is virtually impossible to change Um, and you might say well okay that's within academics that's that's never going to hit the the populace here's why that's a little naive that actually There's a nugget of truth to Cantor's views. Again, the the devil is in the details. The nugget of truth to Cantor's beliefs and his advocacies is that pedophilia is very difficult to change. Arguably, it's just as difficult to change as homosexuality. What he fails to take into account is the great power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A power that is able to save and to remove the unholy desires of any person, whether they are homosexual or pedophilic. Um, the other thing that, he, that he's probably right about, <clears throat> I've done a little bit of work on this, and maybe not comprehensively, Um, is that it would not surprise me that the literature would lean this way, that there would probably be some um, predilection pre-birth for pedophilia, just as there is for homosexuality. Um, This shouldn't surprise you. Why? Well, because we believe in original sin. Original sin wrecks us at the level, not just of our behaviors, but of our desires. And so it is not surprising that in this this may manifest in um, some very awful ways uh, within society, and that this may even worsen either as God gives people over to their debauchery, the kind of a Romans 1 sort of um, kind of trajectory, giving over, uh, but also through epigenetics as the Lord visits uh, the sins of the fathers on the second and third generation. Uh, There's biological evidence for this, uh, and I'll go into that probably next week? Yeah, next week. So there's, uh, right now, the only reason that pedophilia is not accepted is the idea of harm and consent. Okay, two things. You should write this down if you're taking notes. Harm and consent. Those are the only two reasons that pedophilia is not normalized right now. They believe it is harmful for children to engage in sexual acts with adults. And again, I, I mean, it's abuse. It's not, just a, it's not like a consensual sexual act, right? That's not possible with a child. So harms and, and consent because they, they can't consent. But I believe these things are being undermined. So I talked about the, the academics. Um, I could comment a little further on that, but I'm going to move uh, to a second reason why I think pedophilia will be normalized, and that is child rights. So currently, there are world organizations, the United Nations, UNICEF, uh, the World Health Organization, that are increasingly using the language of sexual rights in regards to children. Now... In some ways, this is, we see this, we see this in the LGBT movement as well, where you know there's, there's sort of these Trojan horses uh, through which other sorts of debauchery kind of latch onto maybe some, uh, some other interests that, that maybe have a, a sort of truth to them or a sort of good intention to them. So one of the ways this happens within these world organizations, uh, who are giving? Who are interested in giving the right of consent to children when it comes to sexuality? Is around um, child brides, all right? So in cultures where um, parents would give their, you know, their 15-year-old daughter to a 25-year-old man and say, "Okay, this is now your your husband," um, these organizations are interested to stop that practice. And the way they're doing this is by saying these children have inherent rights themselves to their own bodies and to their own sexual, you know, whatever, desires or consent, however they would frame that, okay? But here's the problem. If you argue that way, you are then saying that a child, and and they don't make careful distinctions, you're then saying that a child has the right to decide for themselves who they are having sex with at 14 or 15 years of age. And so, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're removing the idea that a child cannot consent to a sexual relationship. And, and again, these... Um, so one place this, this line begins to be very, very blurred is they, you know, one of the questions they deal with, these world organizations, is, okay, how, you know, how do we prevent this from happening? And, some, you know, and they'll respond to uh, the idea of setting a specific limit that you know, no one should be having sex until they're you know, 17 and 18, or whatever that age is, right? And, and these world organizations say, no, 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 that's not the answer. They, they don't wanna go there. And they end up saying things like, well, no, I mean, if, if two 14-year-olds or 2 15 50-year-olds want to have a sexual relationship, they need to be able to consent to that. Now, as, as Christians, we would go, no, 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 that, that's, that's, that's not right. That's not good. That's not within the boundaries that God has created. But again, with, with those pagan presuppositions in place, they are, they're, they're, they're providing a trajectory and a foundation that is shortly going to be, um, permitting pedophilia. Now, this leads to the last reason why pedophilia will be normalized, I believe, within my lifetime. And it might be the largest reason. And that is the spread of sexual sin. And the fact that pedophilia is already taking place. It is taking place in great amounts. This is evident by the amount of child pornography that is available on the internet. Um, It is clear by how Hollywood treats pedophilia Um, I'm not going to comment on this, but if you want to to look into this further, see Rod Dreyer's article on a recent uh, scandal um, by a fashion house named Balenciaga. It's very clear to see that there are, and this this is not the only example, I know of probably at least three or four examples like this, where there are major either Hollywood stars or, um, or companies that are overtly pushing for normalizing pedophilia. Um, and because this is already so widespread, uh, I believe that this in inherent desire to see it normalized will take place uh, within our time. Well, let me close with a reflection. I mean, this is, this is sobering to say the least. We've talked about in the, in the previous lecture, we talked about uh, the history of how we got to where we are. Now we've spoken a little bit about where this may be going in the, um, I, I think potentially the very near future. But let me, let me uh, once again come back to this idea that our God is the Lord of history. Um, you know, in the bleak times, that we remarked on in the last lecture, the Lord was still at work, even as some of these evil things were fostering, growing, um, beginning to be sown within the culture. Consider that Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto in 1848. Hudson Taylor was saved in 1849. And in the 1850s, a wave of revival swept the Western world as Spurgeon began his ministry in London. Charles Moody began preaching in Chicago, and revival broke out in New York with a prayer meeting that Jerry, Jeremy Lamphere began. <laughs> so, the Satan was at work, so was God. And God has his, his purposes in all of this. At around the same time that Sanger founded what would become Planned Parenthood, and Kinsey was doing grotesque sex research at his Institute, Young Life, Youth for, Count, for Christ, and University Fellowship were being established, and Billy Graham began preaching to and converting tens of thousands in a great movement in the 1900s. There are evil things afoot right now, but there are also great beginnings that God may bring to great fruit, Lord willing, in revival. And so do not lose heart. And let me suggest that as the world gets darker, you know this phrase, most of you, the light tends to shine brighter. And the Lord may use the darkness and the evils around us to convict the conscience by his Holy Spirit of many. So Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Joshua Lectures series on sex, gender, and the image of God. You can find more lectures by going to newantiochinstitute.com and click on the tab Joshua Lectures, or by finding us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform by searching for ProEleum. If you'd like to know more about New Antioch Institute, you can email us at admin at newantiochinstitute.com. Thanks very much. Take care.